Good morning, everybody. Thanks, Deb. <laughs> I said everybody. Sorry, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, that's a family thing. That's actually what I'm going to get into today. What we're going to get into today is uh, the family of God. Um, and I do mean in the family of God, father, mother, and children. Uh, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2 which is our current study, is going to take the role of all three in the royal family of God. He's going to take the role of father, mother, and child. And he's also going to warn us about uh, an imposter that wants to get in the family and destroy the family. And that I'm going to liken to a virus. Um, As you know, family is the building block of any society. This one's mine. It would be great if you had a picture of when you're all mad at each other, you know. and, And this is my other daughter, Alyssa, from my first wife, who's home with the Lord. And I adore her, but she's on the East Coast, unfortunately. And... You know, what what makes a family is what builds a nation, a good family. Uh, All of us long for it. It's innate in us. God has made us in his image, and even God has a family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We not only long for family, but we long for a loving family, a family where we feel loved and secure and accepted where our ambitions and dreams are enhanced and affirmed rather than shot down or hated, where our successes are celebrated and not envied, a family whose name actually identifies us, and it's a good thing in a good way. But there are those who make this impossible, and I liken them to the virus. So does Paul. A virus is an excellent example of an imposter. For instance, we don't have vaccines for influenza or HIV. This is because they mutate quickly. They they possess a skill known as viral escape. These viruses are able to alter their appearance so that they preserve their own fitness while disguising themselves enough so that they're undetectable by your immune system. In other words, they behave just enough to make themselves seen as a part of your body when, in fact, they're invaders of your body. And there are people just like this in families. They destroy it. And there are people, unfortunately, in the church that do the same thing. They seek to get in and destroy. Meanwhile, outwardly, they show themselves as being, well, what you want. Today we'll see that God has given us, freely by grace, a family more loving and giving and acceptable, accepted of you, I should say, and encouraging of you than you could ever possibly have imagined. And he also, God, warns us of the virus, the virus that is uh, the imposter. 
And he describes for us clearly what that imposter looks like so that we can identify them. Remember the Lord said, you'll know them by their, what, fruit. All right, kids, we're going to go away. Let's open up in prayer. Let's thank God for the royal family. Let's thank God for his blessing upon each of us that have made us fathers and mothers and children one to another in his body. Let's approach the word of God with reverence and thankfulness and humility, ready to learn what God has in his word for us. With that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for the freedom that comes from truth. Your Son told us this, that the truth would set us free. And boy, does it. For thousands of years, many thousands of years, Father, there have been those viruses in this world who have tried to destroy your word, stop your word, but they have been completely unsuccessful. And that is because nothing can overpower, overcome you or your truth. For those who have come to know your truth and believe the truth, they are also indestructible. They are overcomers. They are those who love and encourage. And even when they go through trial and difficulty, they are not discouraged. But they continue to soldier on, knowing that you, Father, have all things under control, and that through you and through your Son, Jesus Christ, we have victory. We thank you for him, his sacrifice in our behalf, and the fact that we who are in him, are victorious, whether we know it or we don't. But as we turn to your word, Father, we will find out and come to the know, to know you and him, through your spirit. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all rise and sing together. Oh 
Uh, quick reminder that there's not going to be any class next week, during, just during the weekdays. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, there'll be no class, and uh, we'll be back next Sunday. Um, turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So a, a bit change in what I had announced before. I, I had this grand plan, and then God put the kibbutz on it, to use a, a Yiddish term. Uh, it's not real Hebrew, but it's close. <coughs> um, that uh, I was going to summarize each book and summarize each book throughout the New Testament. And then, uh, especially after talking to one of my professors at school, um, we concluded that, or, you know, and I think God pressed this home, that by the time we got to our fourth or fifth book, we would have already forgotten what the other ones were without getting any detail from the books. So, what we're going to do is summarize each book, but we're also going to look at each book in uh, line by line. So what that means is, though, that <clears throat> we're not going to go as slow as Ephesians. I, I don't have time for that, um, but, uh, you know, it will go at a, at a bit quicker pace. But to see the uh, nuts and bolts of each book, and, and I'm, I'm glad for this. So, um, so yeah. All I know right now is we're going to do 1 Thessalonians and then 2 Thessalonians because they're really close. And other than that, I'm going to leave that in God's hands. No more, no more big plans for the future from this guy. All right. So the theme of Thessalonians, these are the first letters that Paul wrote. It's important to understand. It's also important to understand that uh, they're early. They're written very early in the church, around 50 A.D. The church is only about 13 years old. But, uh, sorry, more like 17 years old, 15, wherever, whenever the A.D. that Christ was crucified. Anyway, that uh, the believers in Thessalonica are really brand new. Uh, they've only been saved for a few months. Uh, and yet, <clears throat> we see in them that they are doing fantastically spiritually. They have work, they have faith, they have hope, they have endurance, even in the midst of great amount of persecution. So, what does that tell us? I don't need 10 years of doctrine to get doing the things that God wants me to do. I can do them immediately. And so put your faith and go and do that which you know. Now, can I know everything in a few months? No. no. Can I know everything in a million years from now? No. <laughs> For all of eternity, where, you know, God is infinite. His word is unfathomably infinite. So uh, we're not going to arrive at full knowledge. But what we do know, we can put into practice. Uh, what Paul's going to show us here is that we need to um, we need to encourage one another in this. This is what Paul does. He encourages others for this very purpose, and it is the purpose that we encourage others for, serve others for, assist others for. And so this is truly about others. But I myself must mature if I'm going to be any good to you. And so uh, the sub-theme, which I seem to have out of order here, here we go, sub-theme of chapter 2 is assisting the royal family to walk in a manner worthy of God who called them. So look at the uh, actual, in this section, which is verses really 1 through 12, we're going to be looking at 5 through 12 this morning. The end goal of this is at the end. So look at verse 12, the very end of verse 12, Paul writes, so that, so that is the purpose of all of this, 
so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which, uh, worthy of God, sorry, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now that's where we're going to start today and that's where we're going to finish. <clears throat> now walk in the New Testament is a metaphor for living. Uh, an Old Testament equivalent phrase is when you go in and when you go out. Uh, this is in Deuteronomy 28.6, where it says, Blessed are you when you come in, and blessed are you when you go out. And God, this is a reference to going out of your house and coming into your house. And it really is a, a wonderful little uh, metaphor, if you will, for life. You know, when I'm at home, when I'm out doing stuff, it means what I'm doing all the time. The same thing in the New Testament is the use of the word walk. Notice that it's walking a manner worthy of God who calls you. Worthy. This Greek word axios means it has weight to it. That's what axios truly means. Literally, it means weight. This, and it, uh, by the way, it's very closely linked to the word glory, doxa. So this, this weight of glory that is God, we're all called to live like this. So that we have to at least get down pat uh, as our foundation uh, that we have to live in a manner that is worthy of here. Now, you remember this phrase very much like what we saw in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4.1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Here Paul writes it worthy of God who calls you. So I'm elected. That's what called means all believers. If you believed in Christ as your Savior, you're elected. And if you're elected, you are called to be living in this manner. The manner is, well, it's the kingdom, all right? All the family of God are called to live their lives in the manner of God's kingdom and glory. You know, what is the kingdom of God? What are people like in the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is not here on earth. It will not be until the second coming of Christ. But each believer is a member of this kingdom. Each believer is given the laws of this kingdom. Each believer is in union with the king of this kingdom. And the king, as we sang in the last song, right, we owe everything to him. Uh, that king is the, is the manner by which we walk. We're all predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. So, and I put this picture of the cross implements up because it is the ultimate manifestation of this life. Now, are you going to be called to go through that? No. But you're going to be called to lay aside your own life. Not you're going to be. You are. If you're a believer, you are. You're called to lay aside your own life and to consider others as more important than yourself. And the flesh hates it, I know. My flesh hates it. Your flesh hates it. Your flesh finagles away that which it can convince you that you're doing this when you're not. And that you can, you know, and then you become the virus instead of the actual family member, and we don't want to be that, the imposter. So goal, so that's for us. All of us have to be that. Goal number two is that our ministries must serve others in this pursuit only. And this, uh, this by the way, is a picture from the 2015 Boston Marathon. I don't know who these ladies are, but. If I were going to run a marathon, that is the only way that I would be able to do it is if someone carried me. 
<clears throat> but right, it's it, like this is what we're doing with one another. The finish line is what? And the finish line is Christ, the image of Christ, this manner of life that is worthy of God. And if we understand that we're going to serve one another, minister to one another, witness to one another, teach one another, uh, I already said serve, uh, be humble and before one another, if it's towards this goal, then what we're doing is always correct. If it's not towards this goal, we can actually hinder people when we're trying to help them. How many times have someone said, let me give you some advice, and the whole reason they did that is because they just wanted to hear themselves talk and be smart. And it was not helpful. So the attitude means everything here. That if if what I want for you is to you to break that tape of the promised land, that is the maturity where you see Christ and you live in the spiritual life as Christ, then when I consider how to encourage you or help you, and prayer is is uh, an important tool in this, then I will get that right and actually help you. And so what this means also is that at times I'm not going to give to you because to give to you in this moment would hinder you rather than help you. We do this with our kids and with others. But whatever we do in the service of other members of the body of Christ can only be directed towards this goal. And that's, that's what Paul does. All I want to see in you is that you walk in a manner worthy of God so that all this I'm doing, I'm the father, I'm the mother, I'm the humble child, I'm the serving apostle. I, as he said, we not only gave you the gospel, we gave you our very lives. Why did we do that? So that you would walk in a manner worthy of God. That's what we wanted. And, and if that was so, sometimes when we try to help, we're helping others in the wrong thing. Uh, that, that now, if we're if we're afraid of doing the wrong thing, we the other solution is, or so-called, is that we do nothing. That is not a solution. We must understand that none of us are going to get it right all the time. But when we keep the true goal in mind, we can help properly and effectively, which sometimes will mean the withholding of gifts, the withholding of service, and prayer is a very effective in this realm. Our Father in heaven, how do I help this person properly? Uh, and in fact, to be able to do that, you have to actually really want to. Hence, in Hebrews, one of my favorite verses for this, Hebrews 10:26. Consider how to help one another. Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Consider means it's premeditated. If I go to prayer, if I go to God in prayer for you, am I going to get an answer right from heaven? Do this, Joe. Say this, Joe. No. I'm actually going to ask, and then I'm going to have to wait and see. And if I ask, and then I'm like, well, I did my duty. I prayed for them. Adios. Adios, you. You know, I'm not going to care about you again. Then I'm never going to actually find the way in which I could possibly help you. It's actually the fact that I have to care. <laughs> oh, bummer, right? Bummer. I want to just fill my head with doctrine and just care for me. Not the Christian way of life. That is a way of life. And it's better than others. But it's not the Christian way of life. Jesus 
told us. Paul told us. It's all over the New Testament. You'd have to be blind to the New Testament not to see it. That we are called to assist one another and therefore be like God. Now, if you don't truly love God, then you won't truly love others, and then you won't actually go to God in prayer a second time and a third time for the very same person in search of, what would you have me do, Lord, for them? So let's leave uh, the goal, and now let's go back, go back to verse 5, where we find four players in Paul's uh, illustration of relationships here. What we have is an imposter is listed first. Then uh, it's either gentle or child. Uh, we'll get into that in a second. Uh, then mother and then father. And so uh, the three out of the four, you see family. And then the first one is someone who wants to be in the family but doesn't belong there. <clears throat> this is about what we are. Right? So we have imposter, child, mother, father. And then... You know, when we compare them, we say, for instance, which one would you rather be? <laughs> you know, uh, and some of us are more comfortable in, in one role and not the other. And so we ask ourselves, all right, which one was Paul? He was all three. So at times I've got to be the child. What does that mean? That means the chi- in, in the ancient world, the child, not like the little brats we have in our society. Sorry, but it's true. But, you know, in, in their society, the children were just about above zero, right? Nothing. They had no authority, no say, uh, no mouth and off, none of that stuff. No thing. Not everybody got a trophy, you know, that kind of thing, right? They're the lowest of the low. So that's when Jesus said you become like a little child, that's what he means. At times I have to be. Jesus said, who's the greatest among you? The servant. The young. And all this meant is that at times, and at times this is my role, I'm always humble. But sometimes I'm the father. And the father is exhorting and instructing and encouraging. It's actually a position or a role of somewhat of authority. That I'm, I'm instructing you. Uh, what if I have to reprove somebody? That, you know, in the right way. That's the Father. And we've got to be all. At times we've got to be the child who is less than nothing. Unto one another. And our, you know, our flesh, pride, that's what, pride kills this. And what is the apostle all about? He seeks the glory of others. He is all about pride. What's the central letter in the word pride? P-R-I-D-E. Me. Right? It's I am. Only one person gets to say that. Jesus Christ is the I am. <clears throat> so, um, now forgive the busyness of this slide, but ginomai is the common word used three times here in this passage. It's a Greek word for either to be or to become. And it's used here, passive by Paul, three times in the exact same format. Paul uses ginomai. And in the first case, it's translated in verse 5, we never came. And then in verse 7, we proved. And then in verse 10, we behaved. 
And because and those are fine translations for it. It's just that ginomai is a very versatile word. It's one of those, you know, if you ever look something up in the dictionary and it has like 10 definitions, that's kind of what ginomai is. So the translations are fine. It's just that if you don't look at it in the Greek, you don't see that Paul used the same word, exact word, three times. And that's significant. You know, within a couple of sentences, he uses the same word three times. This word means to become. He said we never came. This word came in verse 5. Doesn't He's not talking about his approach or how he walked in the door. He's talking about what he was up here in his head. What was I? Well, I was never that. It's talking, he's talking about his character. So, ginomai is what you are. And you see, you, what, what is this? And it's just what the flatterer is that we can't be, is imitators. We imitate Christ, don't get me wrong, meaning that we're faking it. Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fake being the mature Christian. I'm going to fake being the, the, the one that's like Christ. I'm going to fake being the good churchgoer. And you're, you're fooling yourself and nobody else. Or maybe you know, maybe you are fooling somebody else. It's a waste of time. God sees clearly what you are. Who examines our heart? God does. <clears throat> so we proved to be children. We behaved, and that verse 10 is about um, how devout and holy and sacrificial that Paul was, meaning that's what he was. What he was not is the imposter. The imposter, amazingly, wants in the family, and he can do nothing alone. And, and that's important to note because the, those who are viruses, those who are not making... See, what is that family? You have a, a really good family. Love one another, forgive one another, encourage one another. Don't put each other down. How can I help you? You are my brother, my sister, my mother, my father forever. There is a tightness to this that God has innately put in every one of us, and we all long for it. And don't get, if you don't have it amongst people, know that you have it from God. God does not give us these things within ourselves and not provide it. He is your Father. What does Jesus say? You are my brother and sister. And within the church. Right? You live not like this, but like the other. God is going to insert you into a group that is the body in which you will be supplied and encouraged and loved. But what do we, too many people, and Christians included, they just want to isolate. I don't want anything to do with anybody. I don't want to get involved. I just want to be alone. Leave me alone. And know that that is a manifestation of your flesh. Fallen man is exiled. Is he not? What did God do with us when we fell? Kicked us out of the garden. We covered ourselves with fig leaves, right? We, we isolated. We must not. It takes a bit of faith, though, doesn't it? It takes a bit of faith to step out and say, you know, this is uncomfortable for me. But my Father, my Lord, tells me I must. 
So I'm going to do it. That's what God is. This what the Word of God is encouraging us to do. Uh, the the imposter can do nothing on his own, and he is a false teacher. Why is he trying to be a part of the family? That's what uh, the question I ask. Why doesn't he just run off and make his own family of liars? Why does he want to invade ours? And it's because sin and evil can produce nothing and build nothing. Sin and evil can only destroy. <clears throat> I think of the, uh, the monsters. That's what the image I thought of, where the monsters, all the monsters live together in one house at 1313 Mockingbird Lane. I watch the monsters all the time. Right? They all they stay isolated away. But in our case, well, they, they had the one daughter who was like really beautiful, and they thought she was the ugliest person in the family. It's hilarious. But <coughs> um, the monsters in our world don't all live with each other. When they do, though, right? Take the uh, the crew, the criminal crew, that right? They they pull off these crimes together as a group, or like a gang. Uh, a gang is a great example. In our inner cities, we have gangs, cartels south of the border, uh, and now north of the border, but whatever. Uh, they have to have things that are good to hold themselves together, which is what authority. They have to have loyalty. They have to have obedience. They have to submit. Right? They have to work together or the whole thing falls apart. The criminal, the evil, borrows from God that which is good to hold them together. You see, the imposter wants to infiltrate. <clears throat> so our first role, look at uh, verse 5. For we never came, we never were. Now there's Ginnemai there. For we never were with flattering speech, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. Pretext means a cloak, meaning I'm wearing an outward form of I'm not greedy, but I'm protecting, I'm trying to show forth you know, godliness, but I'm not. So that's what pretext means. Pretext means a cloak or a mask. Nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. We might have. We might have pushed our weight around as apostles. Notice it's apostles, plural. He's including Silas and uh, Timothy. Though they don't have the official title, so we think. Um, so this the imposter, which we talked about on Thursday is like what Paul warned in his meeting in Ephesus uh, in Acts 20, 29 through 30. He said, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Why don't the wolves all go be wolves together? Why do they have to infiltrate us? They can't, if all the wolves hang out together, all the evil ones, the sinful ones, and just do nothing but sinful, evil things, they have nothing. They build nothing. All they do is destroy one another and quickly. They know this. And so they want to be a part of something that is good. And then they try to destroy it, just like a virus. 
Psalm 62, 4, they bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. Salah. Salah means pause and think about that. And so the, the imposter, as we see in our passage, has flattery. He has a cloak, cloak as pretext of good over his greed, and he seeks the glory of men. He's prideful. This is not family. But they will always be there. So, where's the perfect family? It's in heaven. It'll be there. We'll all be in a new Jerusalem, and it's going to be perfect. Be patient. It'll be there. Doesn't take that long. All right, go up to any of the older folks here. I won't point them out. Ask them. I remember, I never forget when I asked my dad, it just I was just about maybe 12 or 13 years old, thinking about, wow, it was, my dad was much older than me, and uh, I was like, I'm going to beat a Maggie. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it dawned on me that, you know, he didn't have much time left. You know, you get that, you're, my, you're old enough to start saying, wow, people actually die. And um, I asked him, you know, was it, did his life seem long? Or he was like, Joey, it was uh, like snapping my fingers. And it just happened. Time. It's a tricky thing, isn't it? Sometimes it feels slow. Sometimes it's fast. With God, a thousand years is a day. He's in no rush. Chapter 4, we're going to get to the rapture. In Thessalonians, my, my, my illustration for that is going to be the turtle. That's going to be my thing. I got a turtle from Maui. I'm going to use him. He'll be on the desk for a week. We're all, you know, come on, God, with the rapture. Hurry up. It's time. Why is God patient? Why does He allow these guys, guys and gals, to infiltrate our families and our assemblies. Why? Yeah, I want you to answer that for yourselves. So what did Paul become? Well, Paul became either a child or a gentle. He's either a nepioi or an epioi. And we don't know which one. This is great. But So in verse 7 he says, But we prove to be gentle among you, as opposed to the prideful imposter who just wanted your glory and your money. We were gentle. Or children. Uh, Each one of these is found in several manuscripts. See how close the words are. One has an N and the other one doesn't. One is nepioi, the other one is epioi. That's exactly how they're pronounced too. Nepioi and epioi. The word right before nepioi or epioi is agenethamin, or it's agenethamin. Agenethamin. That is ginemai. Agenethamin is ginemai in a passive voice, but anyway. So, can you imagine a room full of scribes? And what somebody would do is take the original, not the, they wouldn't have the original, but a good copy, and they're going to read it. And all you scribes are going to write it down so that we get multiple copies. And he says, Egonethamin epioi. And you wrote it down. Did he say Egonethamin nepioi or Egoneth? I would not be the guy who had the job of announcing. Egonethian epioi or Egonethamin nepioi? Menepioi or menepioi? Right? You don't know, right? but you'd hear it differently. 
So that's why these things happen. We do not know what Paul wrote. Either he wrote one or the other. I think it's great. Fortunately for us, the words are very similar. If he meant child, he meant humble servant. If he meant gentle, he meant something very similar. Not the prideful one. I'm going to go with child because it fits my family theme. I'm going to just take that step. (laughs) One of the phrases we can miss with this is among you. This is very clear. He doesn't say children with you. He uses a Greek word that means in the midst of you. It's actually the word mesos, which means middle. I was in the middle of you as a child. And what I get from this, and that's why I put up this picture, especially after the pandemic, that we understand the, the, um, the damage that happens when people can't be with each other or when their faces are half covered. Right? You can't see expressions, you can't see smiles, you can't see their lips move when they talk, you can't see them. There's almost It's a little paper thing, but it's a barrier. Isolation. Right? We had to be away from each other. Well, Satan must have loved it. And uh, so in the, amongst you, and I get from this that we've got to be face-to-face with the family you minister to as much as you can. And this is important. It's, yeah, it's at times uncomfortable, but, and we have this natural inclination within our flesh to isolate, to be in exile from the world. But here, Paul, Paul's right in the midst, not from a distance. He didn't go in there, deliver the gospel, and get out. He would be there as long as he possibly could be, ministering to them, being with them, looking them in the eye, helping them, being right there. God has made us for this. And in the royal, see, in the royal family, you're loved and you're forgiven and you're encouraged and you're accepted and you're affirmed. Even though, you know, you've got your issues, I've got mine. We, if we know each other long enough, we get to know those things about each other. But they mean nothing because we have this love and gentleness for one another, this virtue, godly virtue, this godly love that we have for one another, and therefore you feel accepted. And minister. Paul writes in Ephesians 4:15 through 16, We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. That makes you a joint. According to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. It's a chief of virtues, isn't it? From love flows all of this. And if I don't have it, nothing flows from me unto you. Nothing. So look at verse 7. But we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Very affectionate, isn't it? It's a manly Paul. (laughs) Paul now switches his metaphor. That's why some people don't like child as 
They don't like Nepios because he goes from Nepios now to mother, which actually nursing mother, which is a particular Greek word, but that's okay. But what does the mother have here is thalpo. This Greek word is strong. And it's translated quite well here. Tenderly cares, but it's even stronger than that. It's a cherish with tender love. But we, of course, we get this from the image. What is the love of a mother for her infant? Paul is very careful to use a pronoun that says it's her own child. Not that you wouldn't love an adopted child, but this is Paul's particular here to say that it is her own child. What kind of love is a mother for an infant who she's nursing? Go try and take that child away from her. It's even in the animal kingdom. Everybody says it. You come across a bear in the woods and you see some cubs, you're done. You're all, it's over. She's going to kill you. <laughs> try to take that child away. Try to hurt that child. This, Paul says, is the love that he had for them when they were unbelievers. How do we know that? He said, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel... Right? We loved you, so we imparted the gospel. That means that they hadn't believed it yet. But then they did. Now, of course, there's, there's a difference between you and an unbeliever and you and a believer in terms of experience. But God tells us not in terms of love. He's very careful about this. Jesus was very careful about this to make sure we understood this. Are we to love only those who love us? Because generally in the church, people do, you know, if they're churchgoers, especially here, we don't really, we're small enough and don't offer much other than the Word of God. A few donuts from Keith and that's it. (laughs) That's basically, you get some doctrine, a little bit of sugar and a lot of doctrine. Cup of coffee, you know, that's that's what you get. So people here are going to love you. Um. So did Christ say, "Only love those who only love you, right? We all know this. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Cherish with tender love. And does the infant know the love of his or her mother? And a clue. And a clue of it. Neither did the unbelievers. Neither did the new believers know, they understand the magnitude of Paul's love for them. So was Paul like, uh, you guys don't get it. Do you know, this, this is like, because one of the things Paul's going to say is don't be a burden to people. And it made me think of the, uh, that, anyway, sorry, because there's moms here. But the overburdening mother. My mom would do that. Too. I, can't, I can talk about her because she's dead. <laughs> right? That's, that came out wrong. She's in heaven. She's in heaven so I can talk about her? No. But at times she would be. I could be dead and you wouldn't know because you'd never call. She said that to me once. I was like, yeah, uh, but you're not, are you? Hence you picked up the phone. I did call you. Um, Does the child know? Is Paul here saying, you don't understand how much I love you. You don't get it. Fine, I'm leaving, you know. 
he could care a lick that they get it or they don't. Why? Why? See, you can answer these questions why from these lines of Scripture that show us God and His people at their best and at their worst. You can see this in your own life. Believe me, when you get perspective on why and what it is that God has made me to do and why, there's nothing stopping you. Because now God can truly use you. And He's going to get busy in your life. And hold on. <laughs> You're going to be like, what in the world did I get myself into? The infant doesn't know how much the mother loves him. Paul's listeners didn't know how much they loved him, how much he loved them. So parents and all of you who minister to others, when they don't recognize what you've done or they don't say thanks or they don't seem appreciative, it just may be that they don't see yet. And they may just be ungrateful people, but whatever. It, give them the benefit of the doubt and say, well, maybe they, they have not seen the love of God yet, and so they don't see it in me. If you, don't, if you don't have the love of God, you don't see it. You see, like, manifestations, but you don't really see it for what it is. You've got to have it. Meaning you've got to live it, you've got to see it yourself. And... Ephesians 5, 28 through 30, He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. That's Thalpo. Paul uses the same word for the husband and the wife, but particularly, as he says, just as Christ also does the church, because we're members of his body. Christ loves the church with tender care. Then he says to husbands, love your wives as I love the church. With tender care. Love with tender care. Now, if your own husband ain't doing this, know that the Lord is. And again, for the same thing, and say, well, you know, the wife can say, well, my husband doesn't love me like this, so I'm not going to subject myself to him as the Bible says. And you're missing the point. Does Paul stop ministering to the people because they don't appreciate his love for them? No, he does not. What he cares about is the Lord, serving the Lord. All right. So, if we fail... All right, here we go. Now we have to jump ahead. So we've had the, the gentle child, the mother, and now we go to the father. Verse 11. So we have to jump a few verses here. We're going to get back to them. Verse 11. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. So now we have the father. Notice there are three participles here. They're the I-N-G words that you see there. Exhorting, encouraging, and imploring. Each one of you as a father would his own children. So we have the role of the child, who is the very lowest subordinate, the role of the mother, who has this tender, loving care for her child, and taking it further, 
even when the child doesn't know or appreciate that love, but she keeps giving it. And now the father. Now, the Greek here emphasizes the position of the father. Because in the Greek sentence, it starts off with father. Now, Greek does something here that English can't do. Greek is totally inflectional. So you can put the subject at the end of the sentence or at the front. You can put it anywhere you want. What does this do? If you put it at anything at the front of a sentence, it's the first thing that the reader reads, and so it's emphasized in their minds. In English, father is near the end of the sentence. In Greek, it's at the front. As a father would. Paul writes, each one of you as a father to his children. To each one of you, meaning I as a father to you as my children. And then he adds the exhorting, encouraging, and imploring. And what we get from this is that even if we, you know, how many times have you left a person's presence and 10 minutes later or 20 minutes later you said, wow, holy cow. I could have totally ministered to that person and I wasn't paying attention. I was absorbed with me or my cell phone or something. I I had an opportunity to teach and encourage there and I missed it. How many times have you done that? I don't even want to know, right? But do you ever stop being in the role of a father? Right, so what I get from this is Paul puts father at the front and then he puts the exercise of the father afterwards. He's emphasizing the fact that we're all fathers. There's going to be times that you have to have the wisdom to do this. Fathers should have wisdom. Fathers should, and actually this last word that we'll see, a father should model the life that he's showing his children. Not just words, right? Model it. We've seen this in James and in Thessalonians. Don't be all, you know, doctrine in your head and no deeds. We have to model the behavior as well as teach it. So the role of the fathers to others. And we're all going to fill this role from time to time. Is exhortation. I put that Greek word up because some of you are going to recognize it. Parakaleo. You heard of the paraclete. It's a title for the Holy Spirit. It's also a title for Jesus Christ. It means to comfort. It means to encourage. And it means to exhort. It's a, it has a wide range. It means, technically, uh, it means someone who draws near to help. Kaleo is the uh, Greek uh, verb to speak. And para means alongside. So it's like, it's, I need someone to speak for me, so I call this person alongside. It's someone who's there or speak to you, right? So it's an encourager, an exhorter. And that's the role of the father. But not just that, encourage. Uh, this is a fairly rare Greek word that, uh, that none of us would know, so I didn't put it up. But uh, it means to console or speak soothingly. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, don't exasperate your children. If I put a shock collar, <laughs> I saw Chris showed me this video. Someone posted on her Facebook page this video of uh, these two knucklehead buddies, young, who one buddy had the shock collar on, 
and the other guy has the, the clicker. And, and the, the uh, challenge is he has to go through a drive-thru and order fast food. And while he's trying to order fast food, this guy keeps hitting the clicker. It's pretty hilarious because he gets zapped <laughs> and he can't talk. He yells, whatever. Could you train a child in the way they should go with that, a shock collar? Well, if you wanted to go over there, yeah, it would work. <laughs> if you wanted your kid, look, do your homework or, or else. I'm pressing the button. Yeah, we could torture them. But is that the way that they, would we, you know, mold their minds? No. We just make them hate us. Uh, that, that's the Machiavellian form of rulership, make them fear you. So uh, this word is different. You don't see it. And actually, when I, I get, there's only these three are listed. I'm like, well, a father disciplines. Where's the discipline? And it dawned on me. I'm like, well, who does the disciplining? In the, this is about you playing the role of father to the royal family. This is not a, like a biological father at home. This is you playing this role. You have the role of child, mother, and father at different times, at different situations when it's called for. This is you encouraging, exhorting, and imploring other members of the royal family. Do we discipline one another? No. No. A very rare instance of like church discipline where the, the pastor or the leadership has to deal with someone in church who's, you know, creating problems. Never once had to be done here. Um, who, what, so we need, di- who's doing the discipline? I'll let you answer that too because it ain't us. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We leave him in God's hands. Uh, the last one, implore, matur, oh, maturamai, that's where we get martyr from. And that word means to witness. And so you testify, witness, implore, encourage, exhort. So, which role would you like? Would you like to be the child, the gentle one? Like everybody's like, no, nah, I don't want that. <laughs> that, one's too, that one's too low in the totem pole. Would you rather be the father or would you rather be the tender, loving mother? Well, which role did Paul take? All three. The gentle, humble child, the tender, loving mother, the encouraging, exhorting, and teaching father. We must all, each of us, be one of these three at various times in our lives. And to do this, we actually have to care about others. We have to consider them more important than us, and we have to really think about it. What does that person need right now? Do they need exhortation? Do they need a hug? Do they need, I'm going to pray for you? Do they need, um, you know, do, do you need to weep together, rejoice together? These are in the Bible now. I know for us men, we're like hugging and weeping. Come on, dude. We're men. Yeah, the Lord wept. There's, time, there's times for it. You can call your wife over and say, he needs a weep. (laughs) I'm not good at that kind of thing. 
Step out of your comfort zone. You never know. What, what matters is not what I look like. Is it true? Or what they need. God has set us up with this. God could come down here and fix all our problems in a second. He, not, he doesn't have to put the imposters, let them... There it is. Yeah. Might have to spend some money and get a new mic. All I did was tap it and it went off. That I was excited. Look what happened. Uh, yeah, why does God allow all of this? He's given us an opportunity. That person needs help. That person needs encouragement. That person needs tender, loving care. That person needs me to submit to them like a child. God has put us in a place, in a situation, where we by faith can be like Him. It's genius. It's absolute genius. And because it's so crazy here on planet Earth, you never know what's going to happen. What I mean by crazy is reality is bizarre. You never know what's going to happen. Is that person going to, you know, people change, situations change. We can never predict them. And so what God has done in putting us in that is that we have to be original. We have to be ready. We have to be able to improvise. Not outside the truth, but in the truth. I have to be able to apply the truth to a situation that I've never seen before. Therefore, I've got to use this big old juicy brain that he gave me. Reason is not thrown out of Christianity. Not at all. We reason the truth and see, now in this situation, I need to be the child. I see it clearly. And then, and I must, I'm so glad, God just sent me a signal from heaven. Did you see it? <laughs> um, that we have the Holy Spirit within to enable us to see. Right? We're, not do, we're not alone in this. That I have to be a genius to figure out what role I'm going to play. You do not. You have to be faithful. Put your faith in it. Be available. Love the Lord. Love others. Love His Word. And it all will work. Are you going to get it wrong at times? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, go back to verse 9. I should have finished this up by now, but real quick. So, he says in verse 9 now, before he got to the Father, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day... Now, this phrase, night and day, doesn't mean it was 24 hours a day, just that at times, right? It's not your schedule that you get to keep when God says go serve or go do or whatever. It's night and day. So as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. And I'm sorry that I squeezed this in here at the end, but what he does in verses 9 and 10 is give us the behavior of every role. The role of the child and the mother and the father are going to look different. But the virtue that we possess when we're in each of the three roles 
is absolutely the same. It's toil and painful labor at times. Right? You think of yourself as the child, as the mother, as the father. It's toilsome. Uh, the, the other hardship is the word that Paul uses. It means painful labor. It's night and day. Not just 20, It's not 24 hours straight, but it's, it's full time. Not a burden. Not a burden. Meaning, and, and this would lead us to Paul's writing in Galatians 6 that says, you bear one another's burdens. You're not a burden. You're bearing burdens. Devout, now devout does, doesn't mean loyalty. This Greek word is very close to the word saint or holy, and it means pure from evil. Upright means righteous, and blameless means blameless. So that's a lot, yeah. It's only a few verses. <laughs> it boggles my mind how much truth God can pack into a couple of lines of text. It's astounding. It means my job will be endless. Yeah, our job, meaning our job, will be endless. So with all of that, child, mother, father, who has these virtues unto others so that, verse 12, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I'm all of this not so I can impress God and get rewards from God. No, I am all of this to help you get across the finish line. And I and I'm I am expecting you to do the same for me. What a wonderful thing God has done here. Because getting back to our intro, there's a lot of families who have failed their children and failed one another. More of them than there are good ones. The statistics show it. How many absentee fathers are there now? And it doesn't. It's no longer matters in what race you are. It's somewhere around two thirds to three quarters of children do not have their biological father at home. It's over half. I know that. Uh, and, and so, you know, families have fallen apart. People are evil and vicious to one another. They hurt one another. They don't encourage their kids or their others. You know, I'm, I'm trying something new. Don't be stupid. You know, that's what a lot of people get. Instead of encouraging, there's no love there. So are you alone? Mm-mm. We're all family of God. You've got them here. They're in other places too. And if you happen to be alone, which is rare, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you know, and in just a matter of time, it won't be that long, we're all going to die or the rapture comes. Jesus on the back of the turtle. That's my image for the rapture. Why are you, why are you taking so long? Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> We're going to be face-to-face with the Lord in the new Jerusalem. I go to prepare a place for you, the Lord said. Yeah? In heaven. We're all going to be... That's for all of eternity. This life is so short. It's a drop in the bucket. Drop in the Pacific Ocean. So, as Paul would say, be of good courage. 
The Lord is drawing near. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word and for the encouragement of these lines of text that you have preserved in your word that provide for us the truth of the matter and the truth of the manner in which we should live unto you. You have given us, despite our sins and our failures over time, which are so many, yet you have forgiven us, cleansed us, and you tell us, forget what lies behind and reach forward to what lies ahead. Today is could be a start or a further going from the start wherever we have begun being born again and also getting our minds into the clarity of actually understanding what it is you have called us to and the great blessings of that life that is exceeding abundantly beyond what we could ever ask or think. So, Father, thank you for your patience, for your forgiveness, and for a new day, a new light, a springtime in which life comes from darkness, life comes from death. We thank you so much, Father, for your amazing grace. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, so uh, offering time, and that will do it. Thank you all. Let's pray for our offering. Father, thank you for the opportunity to give. We give as your believer priest so that we can maintain uh, this church to continue to preach your word and your gospel to those here and to around the world. But we also do so, Father, uh, in, as, as your believer priests in honor of you. So we give. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for our gathering. Thank you for the royal family of God. Uh, thank you for your love. Well, the final moments of our service are dedicated to anyone who's listening who has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior. There is only one in which all men can be saved. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one who has died for the sins of the world. That is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The Son of God became a man so that he could save you. It's our sins are the problem. We're born in sin. We commit sin. And so we are separate from God. But Christ has paid the price for our sins, for everyone. Therefore, if you believe upon him, you will be saved. That's what he asks, that you accept what he has done. That Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, has risen again on the third day, And he is alive, seated at the right hand of God, awaiting you. If you believe upon him, you will be saved. Jesus, who died for your sins and is the Lord and Savior of the world. 
Thank you so much, Father, for your word today. We ask in Christ's name, amen.